Hi, everybody. So good to see you guys. It's nice to be back in person. Welcome to those of you tuning in online. It's been fun to engage with you on the chat this morning. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Melissa. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'd love to open up by telling a story about some friends of mine. I have these friends who are twins, and they look pretty alike from a distance. They're about the same height, same build, same coloring. They have a similar fashion sense. They even have a similar haircut. But when you get up close to them, they do look different. It's easy to tell them apart. Uh, one has a narrower face. Their smiles are a little bit different. One has more freckles. Uh, when they speak, they sound differently. One is very soft-spoken and gentle in the way she speaks. The other one is louder and more boisterous. And you can really tell the difference when they begin to laugh. But despite the differences, they told me this story, kind of a funny story at the time, but hurt a little bit later on, about something that happened when they were in high school. So when they were in high school, in an effort to help them to grow more independent, the parents and their teachers and the school administration decided that the girls would be registered in different high school classes. And not only that, their lockers were on opposite sides of the school. So during their high school years, they didn't really even see each other all that much at school. But on their graduation day, they found themselves standing side by side as they lined up all the students to go up and get their diploma by alphabetical order according to their last name. So they told me about how they're standing there in the lineup and this guy comes up to them and he has this astonished look on his face. And he says, oh, it makes so much sense. You're not the same person, there are two of you. I always wondered how you went from one side of the school to the other side of the school so quickly and why you sometimes change your clothes in the middle of the day and why sometimes we would have a conversation but then I'd see you later and you seemed to have forgotten what we had talked about. Now, we had a good laugh when they told me the story, but one of the twins told me afterwards how hurt she was in the moment. You see, she was the one who had what she thought was a friendship with a guy. They'd had some classes together, they chatted in the hallway sometimes, she thought she knew a fair amount about his life, but it was very clear that graduation day that he didn't really know anything about her life. They weren't really friends. Otherwise, he would have known that she was a twin. It can be hurtful when the people around us don't really know us. Or I imagine in that guy's shoes, it could have been hurtful when he realized that this person who he thought was his friend literally had a double life. Most people deep down, really want to be known and really want to be appreciated for who we are. And when we enter into a friendship with somebody, we want to be able to know other people in that same way. This is what real friendship is. We get to know one another, we get to appreciate one another, and we enjoy spending time together. And today, we're going to read a story about friendship. But friendship with somebody who knows us and loves us and invites us to know him and love him in the same way. We're in the middle of a sermon series, Who Does He Think He Is?, where we've been looking at who Jesus thinks he is, and specifically what Jesus says about himself from the book of John. In the book of John, there are all these sayings that Jesus says, I am, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And today he says, I am the good shepherd. But he's not talking about literal shepherding. He's talking about friendship. He's talking about what it looks like to have a real friendship with him, the Good Shepherd. So last week, if you happen to tune in online, we 
learned about John 10, 1 to 10, and we're going to pick up today with verses 11 to 18. The context is this. Jesus has just healed a man who has been blind from birth. And the religious leaders take this man who's just been healed and they haul him before all of the religious leaders and they begin to question him. And they begin to doubt what happened. And they get so frustrated, they end up throwing the man out of the community. And then they turn on Jesus. So this is Jesus' response to the religious leaders. So we're going to read John 10, 11 to 18. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it back up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, good shepherd, you tell us that you know us and you love us, and then this amazing thing that you lay your life down for us. Jesus, would you show us this reality this morning? Would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, open our eyes and open our hearts that we might hear what you have for us today, your church, your sheep? We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so if you happened to tune in last week, before we even got started with the message, I gave a little overview of sheep and shepherds because we're not a shepherding culture. So in case you weren't here last week, I'm going to do a quick recap. I have a picture that I showed last week of a sheepfold, and I want to show this picture and pay attention to how there's only one way in and one way out. And so last week in the passage, as Jesus was referring to the religious authorities, he said they are like thieves and robbers. They only come to use and abuse the sheep, and they don't go in through the gate. They climb in over the walls, and their purposes are malicious. Jesus says, I am the gate. That's what we learned last week. I am the gate. We go in through the gate, through Jesus, into his community, the church, and we go out through Jesus, into the world. Jesus extends the metaphor a little bit further this week. So last week he says, I am the gate. And this week he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. He's talking about friendship, this mutual knowing and caring, unlike the friendship that my friend the twin had with that guy in high school. So I'm guessing that we could all use a good friend. So today we're going to talk a little bit about what this looks like. The good shepherd, first of all, befriends his sheep. And then secondly, he shows his sheep what friendship really is. And then, as usual, we're going to ask ourselves the most important question, do I believe it? 
Do I believe that Jesus is the good shepherd? And the answer to this is gonna be one of the most life-changing answers that we, questions and answers we could ever ask and answer in our life. So, let's start with a good shepherd who befriends his sheep. I've shared with you before that before I was a pastor, I was a teacher, and how at the beginning of my teaching career, I started as a substitute teacher, which meant that on any given day, I could be in a grade five classroom one day, and an alternative high school the next day, and kindergarten the next day. I never really knew. Now, for those of us who are maybe in school still, or were once in school, do you remember what it was like when a substitute teacher showed up? Do you remember how there were always those kids, and maybe some of you were those kids, who made it your mission to make the substitute teacher's job really, really hard? So I had some kids when I was a substitute teacher. I mean, this was pretty normal. They'd swap names with their friends. I had a group of kids one time who convinced me that their names were pronounced differently than the standard way. And so all day they laughed as I mispronounced their names and I realized at the end of the day that I was saying something that sounded a little bit obscene, was not good. I had some kids who would tell me that they needed to use the washroom and then they would disappear and really they were going out for a smoke break. I had one time where I was in the school and there was another substitute teacher in the school and the kids in her class and the kids in my class decided to swap with one another and see how long it took us to figure out that we had different kids in the class. It actually took me a while to figure this out, which is astonishing because she had grade seven and I had grade five. So it doesn't really matter how good of a teacher you are. Being a substitute teacher is really hard because you don't know the kids in the class and they don't know you. And because they don't know you, they don't respect you and they don't trust you. I got into teaching because I wanted to spend time and help and come alongside kids and youth, but without the relationship, substitute teaching almost made me quit altogether before I even got started. My general strategy was to make it to the end of the day, rely on the minimal amount of punishment and principal intervention, although I had to rely on it sometimes, and when the end of the day came, get out of there as quickly as possible. Jesus talks about kind of a substitute in the passage today when he's mentioning the hired hand. He says this in verse 12. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. A hired hand is like the substitute shepherd. He doesn't know the sheep and they don't really know him. And when the wolf comes, the things that will attack the people, the substitute shepherd, the hired hand, is out of there as quickly as possible. Just like at the end of the day, substitute teaching, I was out of there as quickly as possible. It's not that I didn't like kids. And it's not that I didn't want to make a difference. But I knew that I wasn't actually what they really needed. I wasn't there long enough to really make a difference. I didn't really know the kids and they didn't know me. And so the job of taking care of them and really loving them is the job of the real teacher in the classroom. The hired hand doesn't know the sheep. And as a result, the hired hand doesn't really care for the sheep. He's not gonna risk his life for the sheep because he's got nothing invested in the flock. 
The sheep need something more. They need something more if they're going to not just survive, but thrive and flourish. So this is a metaphor, and in this metaphor, we are the sheep. Jesus is pointing to our human need to be known, to be cared for, to be loved. A flourishing life depends on this. And the reason why is because we are made in the image of God. One of the foundational beliefs of Jesus' followers is that God is three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, one God. It's called the Trinity. Now, theologians devote their entire careers to studying the Trinity and trying to understand it, and even to them, it's still a mystery. So we're not going to go too deeply into this, but what we need to know for our message today is God, at his very center, is a relationship. And we, made in his image, are made for relationship. Jesus is getting at this relationship when he says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Jesus is saying that he knows us as intimately as he knows his Father. Jesus and the Father who are one. You are known. Even if you don't know God, he knows you. He knows you better than anybody in this world could ever know you. He saw you when you were being put together in the secret of your mother's womb. He was there on the day you were born. He was there in your best times of your life, in the worst times of your life, in the mundane moments of your life. He knows what's going on in your body. He knows your medical conditions. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. He knows your deepest fears, your deepest desires, and your deepest joys. Now, this would be scary, if we didn't know that God loves us. His love for us is so great that he would come to the world that he created, shrinking down his glory into a baby, growing up fully human, fully divine, Jesus, our good shepherd. Jesus, our good shepherd, doesn't guide us from a distance, and he doesn't assign substitute shepherds to take care of us. He came to us himself. He saw his sheep, his people, scattered, because of the wolf, lost and wandering. And he said, I am going to rescue the sheep myself. Now, those original listeners that day when Jesus talked were very, very familiar with the Holy Scriptures. What we have is the Old Testament. So when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, they would have realized that Jesus is saying, I am God. And I am fulfilling these words from the Old Testament, from your Holy Scriptures, about what it is to be the good shepherd. They would have known words or this passage from Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34, 11, 15 to 16. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. Isaiah 40 verse 11 would have also come to mind for the people listening that day. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Jesus is saying, no one else can care for my people. The ones I designed, created, know, and love like me. 
So I will come, the good shepherd, to shepherd them in the flesh. But then he goes even further. He says this. I'm going to go back to verse 14 and 15 again. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. My sheep know me. Friendship is two-sided. It's a mutual knowing and loving. It's not like the friendship that my friend the twin had with that guy in high school. It's about knowing one another. We need to just pay attention to this for a moment. God, the creator of the universe, the giver and sustainer of life, the one who came to defeat evil and sin and death, calls us his friend. And not a one-sided friendship, a mutually knowing, mutually loving relationship. If you've been around church for a while, you might remember another story from the book of Luke, where, or sorry, the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus talks about another shepherding story. He tells a story about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and he realizes because he knows each and every one of his sheep that one has gone missing. And so he leaves 99 in the pen, and he goes to search for the one sheep, the one lost wandering sheep, because he knows all of his sheep, and he wants all of them to remain safely in his fold. You might be one of those lost sheep. Perhaps you find yourself today, and you've wandered away from the flock. Maybe you've wandered a little far from home. You're a little lost, or you're having trouble finding your way back. Well, Jesus the Good Shepherd is searching for you. He wants to gather you in his arms. He wants to carry you home. He wants to bind up your wounds. And he wants to be your friend. Because friendship is two-sided then, how do we get to know Jesus? Because it's mutual. I talked about this last week, so if you didn't tune in last week, I encourage you to go and listen and check it out on our Redwood YouTube channel. But just a quick recap, last week I talked about the way that we know Jesus is to read the Bible that tells us who Jesus is like, what he is like, his character. We also pray, which is simply a conversation with God where we talk, but we also listen. And it doesn't end there. We have to enter into the community of faith in the church. We have to be friends with other people who are friends with Jesus. We get to know Jesus through our friendship with other sheep in the fold. But Jesus goes further today, and he tells us a little bit about the character and the nature of that friendship, which is our second point. The good shepherd shows his sheep what friendship really is. Now, in our house, maybe you have the same thing in your houses, we have this ongoing battle And the battle is around the dishes. Nobody likes to do the dishes in our house. We like to cook, we like to eat, we like a clean kitchen, but we don't like the dishes. And I don't like the dishes, Jay doesn't like the dishes, our kids don't like the dishes. But we want the kitchen to be clean, so we figure out ways to handle this as a family well. So the general rule is if you cook, you don't have to do the dishes. And since Jay and I do most of the cooking, our kids do the dishes. They take turns. This works really well until something happens to disrupt our system, like I'm working late or 
Maybe I've got a board meeting or the kids have some sports or it's Redwood Students Night. Sometimes things get out of whack. It seems like we're in this pattern right now where one of our kids has dishes night on the nights where we do a lot of cooking and there's a lot of pots and maybe the Instant Pot or air fryer or something. And then the other kid has dishes every time we have takeout. So they tell us so often that this is not fair and this causes a lot of distress in our household. What's the issue with the dishes? Why is this a constant battle in our home? Now, don't think that I'm using this message to discipline and try to teach my kids a lesson. I am guilty of this. I get home, I've been working all day, and I've made dinner for my family, and I start to think that they owe me. Like, I did something for you, now it's time for you to do something for me. I know for all of us, by the end of the day, we're all tired, and we have other things that we want to do. We want to I don't know, catch up on a show or read a book or maybe there's some homework or something. We don't want to do the dishes, but the dishes still need to get done. Things would be so much simpler if we could all see the dishes as a way that we could set aside our own agendas, our own timelines, our own needs, our own wants, and just serve one another and love one another. And for one family member in particular, and it might be me, <laughs> The hatred towards dishes is so deep that to step in and do the dishes would really be an act of sacrificial love for the rest of the people in the family. Now, this is a very small example of what Jesus is talking about with what friendship really is. He's pointing out the religious leaders, and he's pointing out all of the listeners and saying, you guys don't really get it. This is what friendship really is. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And the reason he lays down his life for the sheep is because when the wolf comes, when the sheep are in distress, the good shepherd will lay down his whole own life and willingly even die so that the sheep can live. In verse 14, he says, no one takes it from me. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Now, Jesus is referring about what is about to come. He's talking about his death that is coming on the cross. And Jesus, because he is God, he could have avoided the cross. He didn't have to go and die on the cross. Yet somehow, his death is tied to the rescue mission. There is no rescue mission without the death, but why is that? Well, it's because Jesus came to defeat the wolf in the world for good which means that when he went to the cross, he took on all of the wolves, the wolves of evil, sin, and death, the things that destroy and scatter his sheep. And he brought them down with him into the grave. This was the ultimate sacrifice because Jesus was not evil. He never sinned. And because he was God, he didn't have to die. We are the ones who give into the evil of the world. We are the ones who sin which simply means when we step off of God's ideal path for us, when we step out of alignment with God, when we turn away from him, we do things that hurt him, that hurt others, that hurt ourselves, that hurt the earth. The Bible calls this sin. And we are the ones who could not stand in God's presence in that state because he is holy, he is righteous, he is pure love, he is pure goodness. And so Jesus said, let me make my sheep, my people, holy and righteous and pure. And so he died in our place, making friendship with God possible. 
but it didn't end there. Three days after his death, he rose again, and then he ascended into heaven, and he promised that he will come back, and he will finish what he started, and he will defeat the wolves in the world for good, and we will live with him in the new heaven and the new earth in friendship. We don't have to wait for that friendship until he comes back again or until we die. Jesus left us his Holy Spirit, his presence within us. It's his Holy Spirit that helps us to know Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to turn away from the sin and the evil in the world. It is the Holy Spirit that empowers us to believe when belief seems impossible. It is the Holy Spirit working within us helping us to be in this mutually loving relationship with God that enables us to show the world what real friendship is like. Later on in the book of John, Jesus says this to his friends, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. What does it look like to lay down my life for my friends? It has to do with sacrificial love. It has to do with giving something up for the sake of others. Practically speaking, it could be sacrificing my own sense of what what is right or wrong, giving up my own sense of what's fair and doing the dishes for my family, even if it's not my turn. It could be sacrificing my own financial security to live with generosity, even if I feel it in my pocketbook. It's sacrificing my need to be right in an argument, to forgive others and to seek forgiveness for the sake of reconciliation. It's sacrificing my time and my energy to spend time with somebody who is hurting or grieving or lonely. It's sacrificing my reputation to share Jesus with the world, even though I know it might mean I am rejected. As I was preparing for this message, I came across this great story that illustrated what this sacrificial friendship and love could look like. Father Maximilian Kolbe was a Polish Catholic priest. He demonstrated this kind of sacrifice that Jesus was talking about. So Father Kolbe was of German and Polish descent, and he lived in the 1900s. And when World War II broke out, many people began to flee Poland, but Father Kolbe stayed. Uh, He established a hospital for refugees in the monastery where he was working, and when his town was eventually invaded by the Nazis, he had a choice. They offered him this document to sign, and if he signed it, he would be ratifying his own German heritage and he would be given the rights and the privileges of the German people under the Nazi regime. He refused to sign it. Instead, he continued on with his mission through the monastery to help the refugees, and in particular, he ended up hiding about 2,000 Jews. Eventually, he was arrested, and he was sent to the notorious Auschwitz concentration camp but he did not stop in his calling to be a priest, to be a shepherd to the flock. He began to care for and take care of the people in the Auschwitz Auschwitz concentration camp. And he was flogged and he was beaten as a result. Eventually, one day, some guy escaped. And 
The guards wanted to teach everybody a lesson, so they rounded up 10 people, and they told those 10 people that you are going to be sent into an underground bunker, and we are not going to give you food or water until you starve to death. This was the punishment for that one guy's escape. So one of the guys began to cry out, but my wife, what about my children? And Father Colby stepped forward. He stepped forward and took the place of that man. And as a result, that man's life was saved. According to an eyewitness, a janitor who worked there at the time, Father Colby continued shepherding those other nine men in that underground bunker. He shepherded them as they died, one by one by one. And two weeks later, after having no food and no drink, Father Colby was the last one standing. And the guards ended his life by giving him a lethal injection. Father Colby died so that that young dad could live, so that his wife wouldn't be a widow, so that his children wouldn't be orphans. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one friend, one's friends. I think it's fair to say that Father Colby was acting this way because he had been befriended by Jesus, because he knew that he was loved so deeply, loved to the point that his Savior would lay down his life for him. And I think it's fair to say that Father Colby entered into a mutual friendship where he knew and loved Jesus back. And I think it's fair to say that out of this mutual loving relationship, the love spilled out. And because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit, he was able to enter into friendship with those he served in the same way. Many of us, well, most of us probably, probably all of us, are not going to find ourselves in a situation where we are asked to literally lay down our lives for one another. But every single one of us has been befriended by Jesus. Every single one of us has been befriended by one who loves us so much that he would lay down his life for us even before we even knew him. And every single one of us can enter into that mutually loving, mutually knowing relationship. And out of that, empowered by the Holy Spirit, will flow the kind of love for one another that is sacrificial, that is serving, that will show the world who Jesus really is. It will cost us something. Maybe our time, maybe our money, maybe our energy, our patience, our privilege, our need to be right. But friends, as we do this, this is where we find flourishing life. This is where we find the full life that Jesus has been talking about. And so we come to the most important question. Do we believe it? Do I believe that Jesus is the good shepherd? The good shepherd who wants to be my friend, where he knows me and I can know him too? Do I believe that Jesus loves me so much that he would enter into this world to lay down his life for me, so I could be in friendship with him now and forever? And do I believe that we, as a community, can love one another with the same kind of love and the world will know Jesus through our love? After our story today, the listeners of Jesus responded. In verse 19, it says, The Jews who heard these words were again divided. 
Many of them said, he is a demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? They are accusing Jesus of being in line with Satan, the wolf he came to destroy. But others said, verse 21, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They're beginning to see what Jesus did. And they are beginning to hear his words. And they are beginning to respond to the voice of the good shepherd. So where do you find yourself today? Perhaps you are one of the wandering and lost sheep. Maybe you've forgotten what the voice of the good shepherd sounds like, or maybe you've never heard it before. Are you willing to believe that the good shepherd has come to rescue you, and he wants to scoop you up in his arms, and he wants to carry you home, and he wants to call you a friend? And maybe you're here today, and you've been following him for a long time, maybe even your whole life. Perhaps the good shepherd is calling you to enter into a deeper friendship with him. Whatever the case, wherever you find yourself today, one of the easiest ways to step into deeper friendship with him is to simply pray. And so I would love to close today by praying together. Would you join me? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you created the heavens and the earth. You are all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, never-changing. Yet you came to save us, the Good Shepherd, Jesus, to rescue the people you made and you know and you love. You willingly sacrificed yourself that we might know life, that we might be saved, that we might enter into friendship with you. Good Shepherd, protect us from the wolves in the world who tempt us to believe and act as if love is about what I can get out of it. Forgive us for the ways that we have put ourselves first in, the, in our relationships. For the ways that we have withheld ourselves from others. For the things that I have refused to give up. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. That we may live as people who are known and loved by you. And in your love, let us love one another in the same way, Jesus. And then, let the world see you in the way we love one another. Let it be so. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.